Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Surprise! Did you miss me, Andy? I sure missed you. I told you. We were gonna be friends to the end. And now... It's time to play. I got a new game, sport. It's called Hide the Soul. And guess what? You're it. From the Playland Fire in Sweet Home Chicago to a coming of rage in Hackenslash, New Jersey, we are Halloweenies. And welcome yet again to an episode of Halloweenies, a horror franchise podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Justin Gerber, and we are back for yet another episode of Now Showing, in which your Halloweenies and guests discuss what's happening in the here and now outside of the various horror franchises we cover, offering up our takes on a selection of three 2023 horror thriller movie releases apiece, and... Also take a look at the past with fresh eyes, discussing a film each of us has recently seen for the very first time that we had never seen before. And let's get right down to it. Joining us in this episode is another Halloweeny. I believe this is her first appearance on this series. Is this is this correct, or am I already off nope. uh, on the wrong foot here? Is this correct? Okay, who you is this? You are correct. Hi, this is Rachel Reeves, and this is my very first appearance on Now Showing. And I'm so excited, just excited to talk about new horror. We've all seen some cool stuff and some wild new-to-us picks. So can't wait to get into these. Hang on, folks, buckle in, because it's going to be a wild ride, I think. I mean, yeah, these run the gamut from, as I think, the earliest entry we've got here, early 90s, all the way to this year, obviously. Some people out there may have just seen in theaters. Some Some people will be waiting to see in theaters. Some of these movies were never released in theaters, and some <laughs> yeah. of us may have been too young to see these movies in theaters to begin with. And we do have a very special guest. He's been on the show before, dating all the way back to our Friday the 13th season in the, one of our favorite years, 2020. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it was oh, great Jeez. time. Who is this guest? Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Terry uh, from uh, At Gaily Dreadful, the Editor-in-chief of Gaily Dreadful and co-host of Scarred for Life podcast. It's great to be back. Oh, yeah, welcome back, because I know you were on that, and then we discussed bef- um, off, off pod that you were also on our Your Next episode. Yep. Which, folks, you can find that at uh, patreon.com slash Halloweeniespod. Uh, not, not to shamelessly plug Surly on, but <laughs> you, can, you can find it all there. A nice long episode on Adam Weingard's Your Next. What's, so what's the latest in, in, in your podcast world right now, Terry? What's going on? 
Um, well, we are sort of on a hiatus of recording for the rest of this month, but when we come back, um, we're going to be continuing on with doing, we have a weekly mini-sode called Little Cuts, where we kind of do kind of what you guys do. We talk about things that we've seen or watched mm-hmm. or played or read recently, and then we also um, have our weekly main episode, which is basically us talking to people in the horror industry and in the horror community about a movie that scarred them for life when they were a kid. Uh, recent um, episodes, we had one with Chuck Tingle, which surprised the hell out of me that we were able to get the mysterious author of, you know, Pounded in the Butt by <laughs> Tinglers, <laughs> as well as his new <laughs> his new uh, horror book, Camp Damascus. So we got to talk with him and he is interesting character uh so we we had that is one of our biggest episodes that we've we've released recently uh and i am surprised that we were able to to get him on well i'm curious what movie scarred him for life uh gremlins 2 the new batch wow interesting i remember i saw that in theaters and i've always loved gremlins 2 and i guess there are some things in there because i just remember i remember and love it for how hilarious it is especially compared to the even the first one makes the first one look like uh, come and see by comparison. Uh, look that one up, folks. I might be appearing on now showing someday <laughs> for your grim viewing. But uh, yeah, I'd be curious to listen to that to see exactly what it was that uh, that scared them so so very much. Because we all have our little scares that maybe uh, might surprise people. Now everybody out there is just going to say, "Oh, I mean, The Exorcist scared me." I think everybody's got their little uh, phobias out there. So I, will, we'll I love it. And then you guys out. just had an episode on critters, so it's like perfect that we you did. have like. <laughs> gremlins and critters together i know (laughs) wild it's it's so what i love about our little podcast is that people come with sometimes the most off the wall choices we had someone come on with um the hbo uh abortion um movie if If these walls walls could talk talk. yeah 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 and so we've had people come on with like stuff from that to martyrs someone saw at a really young age like it's it's just it's just ridiculous the uh, the amount of movies that people have seen at an early age that uh, scarred them for life. It's it's wild. I was more scarred by the idea that they decided to do a remake. That scarred me for life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Rachel, go ahead. I was just I have to tell you because like my niece just turned three, and because of your podcast, like I'm because I've been babysitting her a lot more. I'm like, okay, I have to use this power wisely. Like I got to be careful <laughs> because. Like, what if I show her her scarred for life pick? Like, I have to be really careful that I don't show her anything too horrifying too early because my, my sister is really, you know, pretty restrictive on what she's letting her watch. So I feel like it's going to come from me and I'm, I'm not Heck taking yeah. that. I'm not taking that responsibility lightly. <laughs> well, what have you been showing her in that case? Have you started to show yeah. her anything? Oh, yeah. You know, Bluey is really just... I'm sure they've got that terrifying Halloween special (laughs) that you need to be careful of. Five and up. Five and up. Be careful. Yeah, lots of Bluey. Rachel, let's stick with you because for your 2023 movie, you selected the movie whose first entry I just saw for the first time this year. Maybe I'll talk about it in a future episode. Can you believe that? I've somehow avoided these somehow. I enjoyed it. Spoiler alert, the first one. But it's the only one I've seen. And you want to talk about the fifth entry of a pretty popular current horror series. And what movie is that? What's going on? Yes. So my new horror pick was the new Insidious movie, The Red Door. And I, it was, it's cool. Sometimes I like when these new movies come back because it gives me a chance to catch up. I had seen the first two Insidious, but I hadn't seen the third and the fourth 
which I was surprised to see were much more centered on Elise's story, which mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. But then this one kind of circles back to the original family that we see and meet in the first two. And I just, it was so cool to see they brought so many, like everybody in the original cast back, the kids included, the original actors who played the kids. And that was wild. So went and saw that. And I actually, I kind of liked it. (laughs) I don't know how, I don't know if you guys have both seen it, but. I have not seen The Red Door. No, I've only seen the first Hmm. one. I've not seen any of the sequels yet. But Terry, have you seen this one? You said. No, I tried to see it this last weekend um, in prep for this, and I just I couldn't get there because we went to go see Barbenheimer, and then I just mm-hmm. I was movied out by by that point, and so I couldn't we we couldn't go make this one work, and I I'm sad because I have seen the previous ones, and I I really enjoy them for the most part. I think the first two are are really good, and the middle two have some really interesting moments in it, but uh, it's a it's just a wild series overall, and I I, I just I think it's fun that. That, like you said, they brought it back to the original cast and they're showing back up and it's 10 years later and we're seeing what's happened from them. I, I love the idea behind it. And it's Patrick Wilson's first directorial Yeah, job. I was going to ask about that. So how did he do as a first time director? I mean, I think he did pretty good. I do think that the pacing was a little like, OK, it, it's like there was a ton of setup and then it felt like kind of the third act or you know the tail end of the movie was a little bit rushed through Mm, (laughs) which is also like kind of an important part of the movie so that was something that was like oh that's interesting that maybe a different you know more experienced director would have handled a little bit differently he's also acting in it which is always like okay it's your first time directing and you're acting in it like whoof i don't know buddy but i thought he did pretty good overall i'll I'll keep it spoiler free because i know that of course we should mention yeah all of these will be relatively major spoiler free we promise yeah so uh, what i did like about it was so yeah we bring the whole cast back and it starts to follow the the oldest son in the original you know series he's going off uh to college and sort of when we last met them in Insidious, they kind of had their memories wiped, right? Mm, So they've been, this is like that period in between where they didn't really remember uh, Dalton is the character's name and um, Patrick Wilson, the dad, Josh. They don't remember anything that actually happened in the further. And so this is him going off to college and them sort of struggling with the repercussions of that decision. And then, of course, you know, the past comes back to haunt you and these memories start to resurface. (laughs) And so they have to kind of figure out what's going on, which is also, you know, what it seems like every insidious movie is the biggest part of the movie is figuring out what's going on. And then like, okay, let's solve it real quick. (laughs) What's funny about this conceit is like, well, they could just continually have them uh, forget what happens. And like, we're (laughs) back and Dalton's about to graduate college and there's still something that's in the back of his mind. Something's bugging him. I can't get this picture out of my head. The green door. Yeah. That's a different movie actually. But But what I did like is that because it focuses more the most, I would say anyways, on Dalton, it Hmm. sort of passed the torch of this story onto this younger generation. So we get him in college. And so we get sort of a youthful injection of energy in this franchise. I think that was really needed. Like, I love that we have Elise and we, I love that we have those two movies and we have this fantastic, you know, older woman leading these movies in such a powerful way, but it is really nice to kind of, 
of go back and have sort of some college horror. Like I love college horror. You get and you get everything you would want out of a college horror movie. You get the fraternity, you get the awkward meeting of the roommate in the dorm. And so that part to me was really fun. Um I am, you know, Ty Simpkins, I have to say I haven't really followed him. It's it's funny. It's like when you like meet a kid when they're really little and then you meet them 10 years later and you're like, wait, no, you're five years old still. Like, it's like, oh yeah, people grow up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you said he was, in, was he seven feet tall now? Probably too. I feel like yes, these, these shorter he's kids always blow up. Seven to be 80 feet, feet tall. He's Jesus. incredibly handsome. And he's apparently really he has, yeah, he's been acting like he was in the whale. And so it's like, oh, he's actually he in he um, Jurassic Avenger, World. Yeah. Yeah. Avengers right? Endgame. Okay. Like this this guy has had a career. That's right. I just... He's the kid in Iron Man 3. Okay. He is, yes. Yeah, and he shows up at the end of Iron Man. Oh, yeah, he has been around for like over 10 years now. Good Lord. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's kind of nice to see him in this role, a leading role, and kind of go back to this movie that I have to imagine was pretty formative in his career. And It is kind of funny, though, because he plays this really kind of reserved artist kid oh boy you know and it had so but i kind of loved it because it was like oh it's kind of giving me like she's all that vibes a little bit like oh you just take off his you know he just pulls his his hair (laughs) yeah he just pulls his hair down and all of a sudden he's like this super handsome man even though it's like oh no he's been incredibly attractive this whole time (laughs) and so that was kind of funny it also this is like a really odd deep cut but it reminded me of this david morell short story wow that's that a real I recently, deep cut. <laughs> yeah called oranges for anguish blue for insanity that red it, for door i mean this is what it i know like. so i'm like <laughs> oh, I want, i'm like maybe you know somebody like read this little short story and was like oh that's a great i don't know i highly doubt it but it reminded me of that well so, the way you're breaking down this plot it kind of reminds me of another patrick wilson horror series with the conjuring universe because and Annabelle goes home, or excuse mm. me, Annabelle comes home. Yeah. The um, him and Vera Farmiga, they're not in that movie. It really follows their kids in the house yeah. dealing with good old Annabelle. So it sounds like I wonder if Wilson's gradually just trying to maybe work more behind the scenes in these franchises. I do. I do wonder about that. Yeah, blame him. And yeah. like, it's it's yeah. nice that they threw in this bone after all these like massive money makers that he's been a part of you know for them so it's nice that they were they let him kind of take the lead on this and i think it's i think it's fine like i don't think it's you know a five-star film by any means oh but in I that case throw that, in the trash i don't have time yeah, for this garbage. Stuff um, <laughs> yeah that's all that movies i gotta guys, see like it, you know Is if it, you liked the first two insidious movies hmm. it's not and i I don't think you need to see three or four. I also mm. will say that. So, like, don't feel like if you haven't seen three and four that you have to see it before you see this. I, I would say go. No, as long as you've seen the first two, like, you're going to be fine. Is it scary? Um, Are the scares good? They're, I think they look decent. I think seasoned horror fans will be like, okay, yeah. I think they do play a lot on, like, expectations, you know, like, oh, okay. you think this is going to happen. And then it doesn't, but like that's intentional kind of thing. Um, mm. So I w- I wouldn't say it's I don't know I don't think it's because like the scary, first one is yes. terrifying. The yeah, first one like when I the first time I watched that movie and I know you're going to talk about this at a different time. Well, so I don't who wanna, knows? Like, it's up. It's out there for but, anybody to discuss. Who knows? But mm-hmm. go ahead. Go, feel but free. The, 
first one absolutely terrified me in a couple places to the point yes. that I remember scaring my cat because I jumped up and screamed at one moment, yeah. particular in that movie. So, like, the thing that I remember so much, particularly about the first two, is how fast-paced it is, mm. how you don't know what's going to happen, how it's it's very, like, things just sort of happen and it takes 90-degree turns at, at a moment's notice – and that it's scary, and so that, that's the one thing that I was I was kind of curious about this new movie since we're bringing back that original that original family. I, yeah. I don't think it's quite that scary. I will say I think that it is. I mean, I know how much Justin loves it when movies play to you know fans' expectations oh, no. and that fan that fan service. But there there is a little bit of that. But I didn't find it overwhelming. I think it's because these kids are so much older, like it's a little bit endearing almost and like this family. So it's a continuation of that, but it's, I would say it's nowhere near as scary or satisfying as the first one. It's kind of okay. like, I mean, it's like the conjuring three of <laughs> the insidious. Well, that's a whole other episode. That was tough. That was, yeah. All I can remember is the gazebo and the conjuring three. There's no singing. Wait, does Patrick? No. Is there a six minute, he doesn't scene sing where in he this. sings Elvis Presley. No, there's no, dip. there's no song. There's no like super sappy romance involved, which I also kind of appreciated because um, the character Dalton. Um, this this isn't, isn't a spoiler anyways, but he gets to college and in his dorm room, there's been a mix up. And so his roommate is a girl like, oh, my God. Uh, what are we and do? so like they, you know, so she becomes like his friend at the college and there's not really a, like a romantic element. They just become friends. And so it's like, that's thank you. Thank you for not turning that into like something unnecessary. So I, I there, yeah, there's no um, and Sinclair Daniel plays Plays that character of Chris because her name's Chris. They thought it was That's a boy. The, I can't believe what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, the roles turned upside down. <laughs> so yeah, you you won't have that part of The Conjuring Three. All right. Well, I'm a completionist, so even though you said you don't have to see the third and fourth one, I, I promise you, I will absolutely have to see the third and fourth one before I see The Red Door. But they're all out there. Mm -hmm. I think the, the first two, I think, are on Max. I think the third, what, free plugs for, the, for it's David weird. Zaslav. And the then, fourth um, one, <laughs> the last key, is the only one that's, like, not anywhere. I swear they do this on purpose because it's do. like, oh, you, you want to rent, rent now it. you'll have to rent it to get prepared for this one. And exactly. <laughs> sucker me, I did it because I was well, like, I have to see it before I, I see this one. <laughs> more than likely have to do that. And then, of course, when in, in, in Insidious 666 comes out, We'll, we'll be talking about that one in which yep. uh, Rose Byrne's forgotten it again. Now we have to follow Rose Byrne because Patrick, <laughs> yeah. Patrick Wilson's going to take a little break. Yeah. All right. So that's Insidious, The Red Door. So for my 2023 entry, it's a movie called Talk to Me. Now, have either of you seen this yet? No. I saw this at Sundance. Terry, so you, you saw it a while ago. Terry, you saw it. Yes. What? Five, six months ago. So you've been kind yeah, of having to sit on some of these takes, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I um so I haven't seen it since then, so it's been a moment, but I remember really loving it at Sundance. Yes, it's directed by Danny Philippou and and Michael Philippou. Um I hope I'm pronouncing those last names correctly. They have a couple they are kind of better known for some of their YouTube videos that they've had out there for a while, but this is their big feature debut and Danny Philippou was actually a co-writer on this. I'll read the the brief synopsis for people who might not be familiar with this uh, upcoming actually I might be out now. It's, I think the, it's, out. it's a scattered release. Yeah, I think it might be out. It, it's out now. There you go. When a group of friends discovers how to conjure spirits by using an embalmed hand, they become hooked on a new thrill. 
until one of them unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. For me, talk to me, I'll say right off the bat, I think the first hour is probably the strongest part of this movie. At the last 30 minutes, Terry, you're kind of nodding in agreement here, yeah. It doesn't fall apart, but with a lot of what I call, it's like the classic good but not great horror movie in which the first half is inevitably stronger than the second. I just want to get that out of the way to say that I absolutely recommend this movie. It is quite genuinely terrifying, and it's terrifying without a reliance on jump scares. It's just the events themselves are genuinely terrifying. And the creepiest part of it is how normal everybody is kind of acting around these events with this embalmed hand. And and people, you see this in the trailer, I'm not really spoiling anything. But these groups of people are actually watching their friends blatantly become possessed. Like you can't, there's no question about it. Their eyes go black. Creepy things start to happen. Um, I, I'll say this about the movie. Once again, no, no major spoilers. One of the creepiest and longest possessions of a character that I've seen in a long time. It is really unsettling hmm. what happens to one of the characters in this movie. Terry, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm gonna, I yeah. do know what you're talking about, yes. <laughs> it's it's a, unsettling. There's, it's very unsettling. And I think that's what this movie does incredibly well. I think mm-hmm. like a brief... Like comparison is it reminded me a little bit of like flatliners for the yes, social yes. media generation. That's cool. it's like they're trying to chase that high mm-hmm. yeah. of like the possession or whatever the case may be. Because you know how like trends on TikTok and whatever just sort of become like multiplicative and just sort of yep. grow exponentially. That's what this sort of felt like in terms of like the characters doing something that is obviously dangerous, but it's giving them that sort of high and that thrill of doing it. So they just keep keep doing it, and it just bad things happen. Yeah, it's like imagining if the if the the med students in Flatliners had TikTok. You know what I mean? Like yeah, exactly. How everything would be that much more accelerated. And I thought really captured, you know, I'm an older folk, but I do have, I have younger folk in my life and, and they have confirmed to me what I thought is that they really do capture that kind of combination of apathy and fearlessness that this newer generation has and also wanting to be seen by any means necessary. Mm. I feel like they really capture that because obviously what you have to do with this hand and with the experience you go through is absolutely terrifying. Like you said, Terry, the rush of it all and then going viral, the thrill of it all is what really makes it worth it for them. Now, of course it's not all fun and games for 90 minutes and, and talk to me. I'll, 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 I will say that I also found it comforting. Ironically that there was no, there's no like predetermined happy ending for somebody in the movie, you know, just because characters in a lot of our favorite movies are going through something does not mean that they're going to come out on the other end with everything's going to be fine. And there's a brutality, again, the fearlessness that the filmmakers have here that I kind of had to applaud the way things end up in this movie. But um, yeah, I mean, Rachel, I, yeah, you got to see this one. Yeah. See, this is, <laughs> You know, I know everybody thinks that like Boise is just this incredible place to live. I, thought, I, I figured just... it would have debuted there. I didn't know <laughs> yeah, what was going you know? on before Sundance. And like, you know, everybody's just flocking to Idaho. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm the same way with Omaha, right? Like, yeah, it's just, so, it is the mecca I, of entertainment. I never get, we never get anything early. So this will be released. I, I've been checking my, you know, my local it's, theater. Yeah. It's, so I'm going to see it, but it's just coming out, rolling out slowly here. So I can't I mean, wait to check it out. 
it is A24 and it's kind of there because it's not, you know, it's not like hereditary or some of like the... Uh, it's not a typical A24 movie. Yeah, that's exactly... It's like they're, and I mean this with affection, it's like they're insidious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's kind of like, it's it's a little, it, it's, it still has the feel of an indie movie for sure. Because the most famous person in this movie is is Miranda Otto, mm. who people have seen. She was is probably most famous for being in the Lord of the Rings films. She plays, was it Riley's mother in this movie? But oh. it's also, this young cast is great. I love it. It's it's just it's it's exciting. It's exciting and like I love being able to see and like hear people talk about something that it's like I don't know who these people are. I don't know who these directors are, well, but that's, that's your thing. So like, like Terry, so for this movie especially it's that much more suspenseful and impactful when you're looking at these actors you've never seen before. Right? Yeah, and Yes, and it's it was made because it's an Australian film, so yes. it, it doesn't have people that we typically see, except for Miranda Otto, as yeah. you said. So, I what what I do like about it is that you go in with some sort of expectations about who's going to be the main characters, and then something mm-hmm. happens, and it's just I it was always on edge as to who was going to survive this ordeal, and I just I loved how much of an assured debut it is, particularly coming from YouTube creators, where you know they're I think they're mostly known for doing like prank videos and horror. Yes, adjacent that's prank why things. it's so oh. almost stunning what they were able to pull off here for the most part in this one in this entry. Yeah, and I do agree. I, I think the um, the last thirty minutes of it, I think there's some problems with the script. I don't think it really hits the the more emotional beats as strongly as it thinks it does maybe. Yeah. So I, I think there are some failings there, but in terms of just raw horror, I was, this was the movie that I remember only maybe three movies that I could tell you right now that I saw it at Sundance that really mm. affected me. And this was the one horror movie that just like, man, it did, it, it terrified me in the same way that insidious did where I just never knew what was coming next. Yeah. And it, but it takes it out of that PG-13 realm into a very vicious R rating. Like, I was shocked at some of the horror that was on screen in this movie. Well, what they'll do in the movie is that something very visceral will happen. And I was in a great audience when I saw it here in Chicago. And so everybody reacts. Then that, I don't want to spoil too much, then that event just keeps happening. And it just seems relentless. Yep. And the filmmakers will not let you turn away from it. Mm. No. And they know how uncomfortable it's making you, but you've got to sit through it. But it's not like it's not like it's a torture porn thing at all. It's just no. You believe that this is what would happen if you got possessed and things went wrong. I will, I'll say when you get possessed, usually things don't go right. But this is really a good <laughs> case of like, yeah, be, good be careful out there. Yeah, be careful it's, out there. It's it, it seems like it's following just like such an interesting trend too of like these comedic personalities or like these comedy yeah. people like coming in and doing some really interesting things in horror. Like, I mean, obviously Jordan Peele being the most obvious giant example of this, but then we've seen this also with, you know, Danny McBride and uh, the Barbarian. Yeah. I was like a Barbarian yeah, guy. Barbarian, like it's yeah. just obviously, I mean, I know people have been talking about the connection between comedy and horror relentlessly, you know, mm. timing and just how similar these two genres are. And it's just like very exciting to see this kind of trend of, people who you would be like wait they're doing a horror film and wait it's good like that's just so interesting i think and how they just are able to play with expectations of like audience expectations and how we've been trained i guess to watch films and really subvert that in interesting ways so i 
yeah, can't wait to see it. <laughs> I'm I'm also just I'm not I'm not a huge fan of possession films, uh, particularly with like the more religious aspect of it. I just I, I feel like they've been kind of done to death. And so the fact that the possessions in here are different, I love the visual look of it when the, the eyes turn all black and it, it almost mm-hmm. looks like they are getting kind of high on the mm-hmm. on the fact like yeah. the eye dilation to like a huge degree. It just the creepiness worked for me in this movie with the possession aspect, even before we get to the more horrific kind of violence that happens just the actual possession moments are set me on edge immediately and the way they're filmed it's really really well done and i'll mm-hmm. leave the uh the hopeful viewer to go and, and check that out so wait, you're not fired up for the exorcist believer okay no. we'll take that silence <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that, for another, all, folks. <laughs> save that for another day okay yeah so talk to me if it's not out in your local area folks i I assure you it will be this is one to uh definitely check out it's a good time at the at the theater so terry for your 2023 movie this is a movie that i don't think this is out yet if it is out then it must have just come out okay it has come out okay in select Um, cities in select (laughs) cities in select cities so there you go okay well what movie is this terry so i'm i'm a little i'm glad you brought that up because i'm a little upset with the release for this film because I feel like I feel like it was just sort of dumped because they I believe it hit select theaters over the weekend with Barbenheimer. So Oh, that's tough. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what on. movie is this? I should say what movie is this? It's it's Cobweb. Cobweb. There you go. Which I'm I'm assuming neither of you have seen that. I've not. No, no. Okay. So Cobweb is um by director Samuel Bowden who I think most people will know him from Marianne, the Netflix series that was unfortunately axed after one season. The Netflix way. Yes, exactly. And that, I don't know if, have you, have either of you seen Marianne? I, I've no, heard but, of it, but I have not seen it. Yeah. No. I was like, I've I'm, heard it's great. I'm part of the problem. It's, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's really good. It is, um, it is a, a French horror series that, that kind of, takes a bunch of different subgenres. It reminded me a lot of like of Stephen King-esque thing. It's about a writer and and it just the, the scares in it are really intense mm-hmm. and the mood kind of evokes sort of like a dark fairy tale. And mm-hmm. so with Cobweb, which was a blacklist and a bloodlist script back in 2018 that was which is a list of like unproduced screenplays that um, people really loved and I can understand <laughs> with watching it why this one maybe had some reticence in showing it because it definitely focuses a lot on the horror of being a kid. And Mm. it is, Mm -hmm. it's about this, this young boy, I think he's eight years old named Peter who lives in this very Gothic kind of house. His parents are, are Lizzie, Lizzie Kaplan's is one of them. And Anthony Starr, who most people know from Homelander on the boys is the other is the father. So, I mean, a perfect casting with, with with Anthony Starr because he brings that sort of malicious feeling from Homelander into this. And mm. his parents are very, um, I would say, a little authoritarian in the way that they handle the kid. He's living alone in this in this house with his parents. He doesn't seem to have any friends. At school, he's being bullied. Um, it's Halloween. This is a perfect Halloween movie, mm. by the way. It's Halloween season. He wants to go trick or treating. His parents say he can't do it. He can't do that because a few years ago, a little girl uh, was murdered on on Halloween night down the street from them. So there's like a little bit of like a urban legend esque quality to it. 
the the whole movie screams Halloween. The backyard of their house is filled is a pumpkin field. Like it just <gasps> it has that sort of like fall eternal fall feeling to it. That just there's a lot of weird things going on. You don't quite understand. And one night he wakes up in the middle of the night because he hears tapping on his wall, and he screams, runs to talk to his 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 parents, and they're like, "Oh, you're just having a dream, a nightmare." They talk about how he's very fanciful and very uh, his imagination goes wild and like that's it's nothing Hmm. and then the knocking continues after night and then he starts to hear a voice of a a little girl on the other side of the wall saying that she's stuck in the walls and he needs to to help her out is her name cobweb (laughs) no (laughs) but for those arachnophobes out there which i am one there Uh are spiders in this and there's a lot of moments that i actually ended up covering my eyes because i can't i can't it's a whole thing. I can't see spiders in not, real life. I'm not, or, I'm not a strong supporter of spiders, to be honest with you. I'm not. I'm not pro spider. I wish them the I, best. I'm glad but, to you know, hear that. <laughs> but yeah, so so while this is happening, he again is being bullied at school, and the voice on the other side of the wall starts to sort of give him confidence to fight his bully, mm. which leads to unintended consequences. And you start to realize that this house that he is in feels almost like a prison and his parents might not be the best. And so there's that kind of aspect to it. It kind of pulls the look of the film kind of reminds me a bit of an attempt to fuse like a Guillermo del Toro's like Pan's Labyrinth, sort of like the the fantastical dark fantasy aspect with like a modern day home. And I just there's something very fall and very Halloween about this film that I think is very timeless. And what I what I think it does really well is that when I when I was watching because I had a pre-release screener and I'm watching this and I didn't know what the rating was. And I'm like, this feels like a PG-13 movie. And boy, Mm. boy, 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 once it gets to that third act, it this movie is vicious in ways that had me like kind of gasping. I was like, I cannot believe this just happened in a movie about a little kid. They put the kids through a lot of a lot of a lot of pain and suffering. There is a lot of violence and it just I don't know. It just really worked for me. And I'm surprised that it hasn't really resonated with a lot of other horror critics. I've seen, um, I think it was the last time I looked at Rotten Tomato, it's sitting at 63%, which is not that bad, but there's a lot of horror people out there that were just like, ah, it was okay. But this movie Mm. really, really worked for me in a a whole variety of ways. I think Jen Adams from Losers Club, I think she's seen this. Hasn't she, Rachel? Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, no. I'm speculating. I mean, on it podcast, has Anthony Starr in it, so yeah, I'm sure Jen she was She fired like, it up immediately. She immediately about, was like, who do I know who can get me this film? <laughs> she was like, is, is he Cobweb? But Terry, this also sounds like a situation where, once again, the way you're describing it, it's like that classic, why are they releasing these Halloween movies in July and August? Yes. This happens every single year. I remember H2O, I think, was an August movie. Halloween H2O. And I, I don't understand the reasoning behind it when you know that, first of all, horror movies continue to do extremely well at the box office no matter what what else is going on. And especially in in September, October, you feel like this would be a perfect time to to drop a movie that doesn't have high, high, high profile names. It's mystifying to me why they would just kind of Especially Barbenheimer weekend. Like, you knew when these movies are coming out, like, fucking push that shit. Like, what what do you think is going to happen? It's like, tell me you don't give a fuck about this film without telling me that you don't give a fuck about this film. And I mean, like, the thing is, is that this was filmed in 2020. So this was filmed, like, three years ago. And 
it's now just getting a release. And I've been excited for this movie because, again, I think Samuel Bowden as a, as a director is really fantastic. I'm really excited to see what his career is going to do for him. But I just I, I don't know. There's I'm, I'm really surprised at the release for this because, again, we just talked about Talk to Me, which is which is now out in theaters. And I'm like, OK, so you have that big A24 pushed movie. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. Barbenheimer. You have like these big blockbusters. I mean, we just had Mission Impossible. So I, I don't know if you're trying to do alternate programming, but this was not the time to release it, particularly with this being such a fall film. Like I could honestly see this being in my rotation for Halloween. Nice. Um, constantly. Well, oh, sounds can like I ask you, oh, yeah, go ahead, please. I, I know that Drummond Lace did the score, and I absolutely adore her. So I, is I was going to okay. ask you. Yeah, Fantastic I, score. Okay, great. Good. I, what I other love scores her. has so. she done, Rachel? Well, she's, I mean, she does her own, like, solo work, but she's also um, worked on, um, she did a film called Night Teeth, which is was on um, Netflix, which is like a vampire film with, like, Sydney Sweeney and stuff, which it was very stylish but very young i felt like but that was great and she's done um she partners a lot with ian holtquist and so they do a lot of films together like they did that tv show dickinson oh yeah uh, which Apple a lot of people like. i know what you did last summer yeah i they know did, what you did last did. summer that tv series they, and then uh, yeah the they them the peacock film amazon prime work um good girls i think that tv is that what yeah. it's called oh the is that nbc show I'm yeah, thinking about yeah. something else. Or is that one? Oh, I, I think so. Christina Hendricks is in it. I think that's what it's called, right? Good mm-hmm. Girls. Um, yeah. So she's done a lot of stuff, but also an incredible solo um, musician. Yeah. And puts out some really beautiful albums um, just under drum and lace. Yeah, I was going to ask you because uh, I... I, I what I love is particularly with horror movies, and when we had you on, um, mm-hmm. Scar for Life, we talked about this a lot, Rachel. It's It's the... When you have, like... I feel like music with the big the big releases is not in a place it used to be, but I think that horror movies, particularly indie horror movies, have fantastic scores. And this one, I was like immediately when I was listening, I was like, "Ooh, who is this?" And I yeah. I went out and I downloaded her albums on Apple Music and like was starting to listen to her more ambient type of electronica type music. Yes, but she's she was this the score in this is fantastic. Yeah, I was going to ask what the style was. So you're saying it's much more, it's not symphonic by any means, right? It's it's a little more electronic for the most part. I would say that this movie, from what I remember, because it, it has been a, a few, it's been probably about a month since I've I've seen it, but this movie kind of plays a little bit with symphonic scores, but then also underscores it with a lot of like electronica, a lot of industrial kind of feel to it. Hmm. So there's, it, it it's unsettling, but it has moments of, what I love to see in scores, the kind of big highs or the kind of dramatic moments. I, I think it under it under and underscores the the action incredibly well. Cool. Yeah, can't wait to see it. And she has an incredible like ambient electronic album, if anybody's interested in that kind of stuff called mm. I think well, I don't know how to say it actually, but Natura, Natura. N- Natura. Natura. Yeah. I'm I, guessing. But I think it sounds about N-A-T-U-R-A, right. but it's an awesome album if you just need something really to just good. like get lost in and vibe out. I love it. So. All right. Well, so with Cobweb, one last thing on this, Terry, is this the type of movie that you could see being franchised out or does it really seem to be a singular story that, that would really just specifically deal with this family? Do you think you could make a yes. sequel to this? I mean, I, you probably saying, could. would you there's, want to, but could you make a sequel to it? You know, you probably could. Uh, it, there's definitely, I think one of the things that, that maybe this movie doesn't do exactly a hundred percent well is the 
the lore behind what's happening, what's really happening. Um, it sort of puts it out there. It allows you to sort of think about it, but then it doesn't like if like a fairy tale. It's sort of ephemeral in its quality mm-hmm. of like what is actually happening in terms of people inside this house. And I would say that it ends on a definite note. Um, <laughs> I could see. I could see them trying to continue on with this mythos a little bit, but I, I honestly think this is a one and done, just perfect move, perfect little one movie. Cool. Well, it sounds Nothing like the studio feels that. the same way. Apparently, <laughs> just, just dumping it off like this. What the hell? Weird. Yeah. Although I do feel like a lot of producers are also are looking straight past theatrical release and they're just saying, "I hope this is top row on your Apple TV new movie. See the poster, and hopefully you'll click on it." I just feel like so many of them are operating that way now for normally for worse, in my opinion, because these movies should all go straight to theater. But look, I'm not a, a movie producer. You know, I'm not out there. I'm, I'm sitting here having a great time talking horror with you folks. But, you know, that's just the way it worked out in the end. Never too late, I guess. But oh, I saw also Cleopatra Coleman's in this, too, from uh, Last Man she on is. Earth and Infinity Pool. So she said, yep, she plays she plays a uh, substitute teacher that. Because like the, what I what I think this movie does is it just sort of like Marianne, it, it takes a lot of subgenres and sort of puts them together. So the the kid at the the center of it, uh, Peter, played by Woody Norman, sort of has that cherubic kind of face to it. But there's something kind of dark and unsettling about him as well. And so he's the kind of the creepy kid. And of course, as he's at school, he is drawing horrible things, and that's what kind of gets. Uh, Cleopatra Coleman's character involved with what's happening in his family because he's drawing some very dark uh, imagery, mm-hmm. which is pretty typical in like creepy kid movies. You know, it's sort of like, oh, they got to get that outside influence. So there's like a <laughs> lot of little things in here that you've seen before. It's just remixed into, and for me, a very interesting way. Oh my gosh, what if there's like a crossover between like the new Insidious, like Dalton, like meets this kid, and they're like, <laughs> like I get looks it. Like Dalton. <laughs> this movie was made in 2020. I bet you Woody Norman's just as tall as Ty Simpkins is now. He's yeah. 25 now. Like they're six, like, let's eight. share creepy <laughs> pictures. Like I get it. Oh, <laughs> that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Okay, well, it's time to go back in time, and we're going to start off with with my entry here. We're going to go all the way back to 1992. You have to, nobody here has to tell me their exact age, but I'll figure it out as we discuss this. Rachel, where were you in 1992? I was in, like, I don't know, probably, like, first or second grade. Okay, do the math, everybody. Um, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I was probably, like, super into My Little Ponies mm. and um, JTT. <laughs> JTT. <laughs> Oh, Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor, Taylor Thomas. Thomas. I was like, yes, excuse of course. me, you I don't apologize. know who I, Look, I gave him the respect of a thespian he deserves. I always refer to him by his full name. His I was trying name. to think of like my bedroom walls at that age, and I was like, probably like flipping through like a Delia's catalog, just like, oh my god, look how cool these clothes are. I can't wait until my mom lets me like buy some of these cool clothes. Uh, so that's probably what I was doing in 1982. <laughs> Terry, what about you? What was, what was going on briefly in 1992? I would have been 11. All right, yeah, I been 11. about me too. Yeah, so I well, I don't know what grade I'm horrible at that. Is that fifth, sixth grade? Somewhere uh, around there? We're about the same age, so fifth grade probably fifth, fifth, yeah. fourth, fourth or fifth grade. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, so I would have definitely not have seen the movie that you're going to talk about yeah. at that age. <laughs> um, but I also was 
into JTT uh, yes. on, on the down low because Jonathan Taylor Thomas for the people point. out there who want to show respect. Right, for, okay. for the thespians out <laughs> yes, there. You worked hard to get that SAG card a long time ago. Okay, well, the movie in question, everybody. Um, oh, by the way, I was roughly Terry's age, and I was also curious about this film for various reasons, but was not allowed to see it for reasons I couldn't understand until I watched it for the first time a week ago. 1992's single white female. For those of you out there who don't know what this movie is, I'll give you a brief description here. Uh, having recently split from her fiance, Allison welcomes a new roommate, Hedra. Great name, by the way, but we'll call her yes. Hedy. Uh, the young woman, the young women quickly form a, a bond, but as Allison starts to rethink her engagement, Hedy grows jealous and hostile. Allison learns new details about her roommate's life. And as Hedy turns more menacing by the minute, Allison finally understands what she's up against. Okay. Have either of you two, Rachel, I know you've seen this. Terry, have, have you seen this yes. film? I have seen it. It's been you, a while, but I have seen it. All right, so we've all seen single white female. Another refresher you, for folks out there. Bridget Fonda is the lead of this film. And Jennifer Jason Lee is Hetty. The, we'll say the antagonist of the movie. <laughs> and Jennifer Jason Lee, great actor, but specifically, she is absolutely excellent in this movie. They do a really good job, as opposed to some other movies where we, the audience, discover right along with the the lead that the, the, the new roommate or the new girlfriend or boyfriend has been crazy the entire time. The way this movie unfolds, and I say this with affection, it's a high trash movie, okay? It really is, but I say mm-hmm. that with affection. But it does go out of its way to show you that Hetty is not this evil person from the day she was born. Like there's a lot more tragedy involved in her life. And she's, she is trying to lead a normal life. She is not stalking this person to, with the intention of destroying her. That's not how this movie unfolds. But I was wondering how, how the, uh, how you two felt about this. I've got some other, obviously I've got some other things to say about it, but how'd you feel about Jennifer Jason Lee in this in this role, I'm not. Sure. I know Terry. It's been a while for you since you've seen it, but Rachel, how about you? Oh my gosh, these two are just like queen level iconic in this movie. I mean, Jennifer Jason Lee, she's so good. I mean, and we've seen this in so many other films that she's in. She's mm-hmm. so good about like playing not villain. That's not the right word, but just like. A darker character a little bit or like a nuanced character that has some real grit to her, right? Mm-hmm. And just she's so good about that. And it's I'm not sure where it started in her career. I haven't like gone back and like looked at her filmography, but it's like maybe this is kind of the start of it. I'm not sure, but she's so good. And you know, Bridget Fonda is you can see why this character would want to be her you know what she's just so effervescent and just naturally charismatic and beautiful and just i mean that's bridget fonda during this time right and she's just adorable (laughs) and so yeah it's incredible that she was gonna just watching this movie i thought you know to each their own she retired from acting over 20 years ago she's been just retired and did she really i didn't realize that she retired i think her last movie was it, I think I saw it in theaters. I think it was Kiss of the Dragon with, with um, Jet Li. And that was over Dang. 20 years ago. But she was huge. Or she was definitely one of those up-and-coming actors, especially around the time that this came up. And this was a hit, too. 
And yeah. she is also very good in this. And the chemistry and ultimately the lack thereof between the two of them really puts the movie on a different level than a lot of, you know, not no shots, but like the crush was coming out with Alicia Silverstone around this time. And, you know, yeah. this is a different level that I was not expecting, which we'll get into in a bit too. But Terry, what were your uh, lasting impressions, I guess, of this one? Um, I, I just, I really remember. I, so I think the nineties, it was the perfect time to be coming of age in some ways because mm-hmm. the erotic thriller was huge. And this one is definitely like the kind of psychosexual erotic thriller that sort of started this kind of craze, I would say, cause this was yeah. back what in 92. Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. around basic so f- instincts coming around this time. And yeah. 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 And so from there, from there on you, like if you were, a kid with a libido coming up and you want to see lascivious things. There was a lot of movies coming out in that decade that, uh, that would talk Oof. to that. And I remember watching this movie. I, I saw this after I saw Dolores Claiborne because I was a st- huge Stephen King fan. Oh, yeah. I love Dolores Claiborne and she is fantastic in that. And so mm, when yes. I saw her in this, I was like, Ooh, I really want to see this. And that's what kind of drew me to want to watch this movie because of Dolores Claiborne. And you're right. Her performance, she, she comes the roles, whenever she shows up, she seems to have like a haunted quality. Like yes, she has lived a good life that's almost. A good and so I, I, she's very watchable and you're right. One of the things that I, I really think this movie does a good job with is kind of balancing that evilness with a very traumatic backstory. And so we, we do see her with a little bit of, I would say warmth that maybe movies of this ilk in that time frame probably wouldn't have done. Yeah. Uh, so I, I that is what I remember. And I also, is is the neighbor is he gay? Yeah, that is what I remember in my it's head. It's the actor is Peter Friedman, who you will recognize from years later in Succession. He's Frank oh, in Succession oh, yeah. for all of you folks out there. But he's also very good in this movie. See, I, I really hadn't seen a lot of him in the last thirty years except for Succession. So I was like, oh, it's a young, it's a young Frank. Good to see you. And but to to go back to the eroticism of it all i mean this is definitely an erotic thriller that i was not expecting at all it's very sexy and yeah. i think a lot of that can be attributed to the people behind the scenes as well and it was this is what i kind of elevates it because i had not know that barbet schroeder directed this and he was literally his movie before this he was nominated for best director mm. for reversal of fortune so this was not like some mtv films movie like he was, yeah. right. he had the, the, um, it's also based on the novel. So he had the source material with him. But I was equally stunned to discover that the cinematographer is Luciano Tavoli, who also did the cinematography for Suspiria and Tenebre. So it does I mean, have, it has, it, it has yeah. that vibe. Yeah, like, definitely. You, I mean, if you just are looking at the nuts and bolts of this film, like it could be a Dario Argento film, I mean, right? 90% of it takes place in this incredible New York. Yeah, it's New York. It's like this great New York apartment. So, you know, if you don't have somebody capable behind the scenes, it can get really drab really quick. But like the way the shadows operate in this movie and the lighting and, and it just it's just it's a really technically well-made movie that in other hands, I think, would have just been forgotten over time, especially. And, and uh, again, this terrific cast does not hurt things at all either something else that stuck out though is there's some incredibly dated like 1990s computer technology going on in this movie i don't know if you you remember this but like she has set up this this design that is basically to us it's just like having like a shared microsoft excel sheet (laughs) but like 
she's like trying to rent it out to these people for millions oh my of gosh, dollars. I you know, about that part of the film. <laughs> it's, like a, it's a huge part of the movie. <laughs> That's like her whole career, right? It, it, it she like really, designed she, this yeah, program. Yeah, she like left her former partners, like really taking a risk with yeah. Stephen Tobolowsky, who people mm. Ned Ned Ryerson from um, Groundhog Day, total asshole in this. By the way, he's a total scumbag in this movie. Yeah, but uh, that whole subplot—I mean, I was laughing a lot. It, it, it was definitely like Nedry in Jurassic Park with the uh, 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 "you didn't say the magic word," <laughs> like the. Yeah. But at the time, it was probably this cutting edge, high tech stuff. You know, with like, is it fashion? Is that what it, it was? It was like she, some, did, she was dealing in like in the right, fashion yeah. industry, and it was basically yeah. just when, when some things start to go wrong, it's like this guy's inventory is disappearing on this spreadsheet and it's just like in our days it's like just have it saved somewhere in the cloud yeah Yeah. it's in the cloud i think i think technology is one of the the funniest things when you go back to watch movies because we recently uh i recently rewatched copycat for for my podcast and still haven't seen it it's oh my gosh i love that that. movie is really good wait is that technology again no it's it's not okay 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 it might be. I don't um, know. I but, can't remember. But yeah, go ahead. But um, what I what I do love about about these types of movies is the that when you when you kind of go back and you look at the the technology and there's it, internet chat rooms was a, was a thing with um with with copycat mm. and it just seeing that it, it it really dates the movie and I'm I'm curious what's going to happen in like 20 years when people are looking back on movies that we're watching now with like the highest of technology and thinking, Oh, this is really big. And then 20 years from now they're I don't know, talking on their finger or something. I was going like to say, just, they'll be like, why are people holding those rectangular objects in their hands and, and looking things up? Like losers. It's, it's just implanted in their brains now, probably at this point. But I say that to say that it doesn't take away from the movie. It just kind of, no. it, it, you know, it's, it's a, amu- it was amusing to me to see it, people endearing. stressing out about like, it's you know, pre, AOL.com technology. We'll put it that way. Uh, this movie, I think this is on various streaming services, but if you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. It's thrilling. It's sexy. It's got it all. And that could be the poster art for the 30 or 40 year anniversary in a couple of it's years. Sle- yeah, it's sexy without being sleazy. Yeah, I think. It, it like, looks good. It like yeah, looks the like sex just- is handled good. You know, it's no sliver, right? It walks that line. And I also just. You know, let me say this as a woman, sometimes it's like when you see films like this that are basically like pitting women against each other, Mm. basically, like it's like, okay, that that narrative gets kind of old, but I love this one. Yeah. (laughs) Like Like I said, it's high trash. It's high trash. You know, it's in the compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we need to, I need to plug that movie 30 years later. Uh, But all right. Now for our next, our next movie here, this is one that I have seen. And I'm not sure if Terry's seen it. Came out in 1995. I think it came out my freshman year of high school. Uh, so I guess Terry, it's probably your, possibly your freshman year of high school too. It's around that time. It's around that time. And so you're a little younger than us, Rachel. Obviously, I'm not going to mm-hmm. get, get specific with the ages. But what were you doing? Do you remember what was going on in '95? <laughs> were the JTT posters torn down? What was going on at this time? No, they were probably still up. You know, there's probably home yeah, you know. there's yeah, there's probably some Devin Sawa and some like what was mm-hmm. his name Andrew Andrew Keegan like thrown in Ooh, there for good yeah. measure. Keegan, no you joke. Know. I'm not joking. <laughs> Apparently, he like uh, has a cult now. Uh, yep. Not okay, a joke. Move on though. Not a yep. joke. What? Not a joke. Nope. Oh yeah, Terry. <laughs> I know what Google. I'm going to be googling after. This. Google that. Yeah. Side side podcast. Anyway, continue, please. 
Yes. So at this time, yeah, I don't know what grade that would make me in fifth grade. I was probably like thinking I was like super badass wearing like a butt, you know, a, what was his name? Spud McKenzie shirt that I got from my dad and thinking Sweet. it was like the coolest thing. <laughs> you, but you were not drinking Bud Light at the time. No. Pretty, you're a year oh, sorry. off. You're a year away, I think. Yeah. My dad collects beer cans, <laughs> which people might know or not know. But so, yeah, I would get like some cool shirts like that sometime and think I was like super cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm 10. <laughs> Did you have like the Calvin pissing on like the the, the pavement uh, stickers? No, no there's that? no way my mom would let me have that. No way. <laughs> I've got to take a shot here. But I know one mm-hmm. thing you were not doing in 1995, Rachel, and it was seeing the movie. I was not. That you're going to discuss <laughs> yes. here. What 1995 movie did you see for the first time uh, this year? So, first time I have seen Clive Barker's Lord of Illusion. <laughs> Great stuff. Great title. Yes. Great title. Go ahead, so, please. The floor. I, I've seen this movie. I've got some notes. <laughs> so, for anybody who doesn't know, this movie was written and directed by Mr. Clive Barker. Mm. And it is about a private detective who gets involved with a famous rock star illusionist. Don't you dare call him a magician, but he actually is a magician, but don't call him a magician. He's an illusionist and starts to untangle this web with him and this other, like his past with this other dark illusionist that he buried in the desert like 30 years ago or something. And cults are involved, uh, not Andrew Keegan's cult, but this is not a Andrew type Keegan's of cult. cult, but some like allegedly, dark allegedly. magic cult. And this movie has, I mean, like everything you could want. It's got Scott Bakula. It's, I mean, lots Who's of looking bees. hot in this, by the way. He does. Yeah, his shirt's Bakula, off a lot in like this particular a, production. Yeah, tank really top is. and some like weird back tattoo. Yeah, there's a baboon. There's magic. There's boobs. There's some weird like hackers knockoff bleached brow bro dude and it's so wild it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot it's i i i enjoyed it honestly it's extremely faithful if you could believe it because it's, uh, it's the person who wrote and directed this movie um wrote the short story upon which it's based the, the last illusion yeah. for all of you clive mm-hmm. barker fans out there it's a it's a short story in one of his books of blood short story collections which Side note, if you haven't read specifically the first six books of blood, I insist that you stop listening to this and check that collection out. It's pretty uh, remarkable for storytelling. It's awesome. There's some just incredible stuff in there. What surprised me about this is you think about Hellraiser, Nightbreed, mm-hmm. which did not do well at the time, but has become an absolute cult classic. And then this movie, and he has never directed anything since this movie. I find that kind of strange. I, I think he just probably hasn't had the best luck with his, you know, film adaptations. I mean, he's been pretty vocal about some of his That's experiences, true. you know, in Rawhead Rex and like how that turned yeah, out. He disowned and, that. Didn't he disown Rawhead Rex, I think? Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, Candyman. I mean, Candyman turned out good, but like, I, it's it's just it's just interesting to see his take on it. You can definitely it feels like Clive Barker. I will say that. Like if you have read his work, like there's so many elements that I love about his work that you do see here. Some of them I think it's just the time when they come out. You're like yeah, there's some cheesy effects and that kind of stuff. I do think some of the cast is a little miscast, 
Like, so the guy who plays the big bad, Nix, is Daniel Von Bargen. Bargen? Who? Oh, it's Bargen, like, yeah. Do you know who he is? Bargen? Okay. He's in Seinfeld. Yes, he's George's boss. <laughs> Get a load of George. Yeah. He names him Coco the monkey. It's unbelievable. Hey, T-Bone. <laughs> like, T-Bone. <laughs> like, I, like, I think that's probably part of it is like, I can't see him as anybody except this character in Seinfeld. So seeing him as this like dark wizard of magic, well, like. Rachel, I'm the opposite. in his forehead. Because I remember <laughs> yeah. him being in this as a kind of grotesque cult leader. You know, we've seen the trailers. He comes back from the dead. Spoiler alert. Yeah, and then you know, two years later, now he's just George's boring boss. I mean, that he's he's hilarious, <laughs> but he's just George's normal boring boss on Seinfeld. Around that to me chair. was the jarring <laughs> thing I had to kind of come to terms with. The best part of the movie has to do with uh, it's an illusion gone wrong. Mm-hmm. That happens probably what twenty thirty minutes in. Yes, that I, I do have to say is 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 quite effective. Terry, what are your uh, lingering impressions on Lore of Illusions? So I had been meaning to watch this for the longest time because I do love Clive Barker okay. and I am familiar with the character of Harry Dalmore. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, he is, he's sort of been a continuous character throughout mm-hmm. my Barker's works. In fact, eventually when he writes the Scarlet gospel, he brings Hellraiser and Harry together yeah. in. So like it's, it's a character that has continued on through his written works through from the very beginning of that short story. And so I was curious to see how this movie would do with that, with that kind of mythos, because I, I, at one point there was an an anticipation of maybe making this into a series of movies starring Harry and, and doing all these sort of like, you know, supernatural cases as a, as a detective. So I was, I really wanted to watch it. And so I was like, this is a perfect time to sit down and finally watch it. And I was really surprised by it. I think it's his most assured directorial uh, mm-hmm. movie of the three yeah. like as much as I love Hellraiser and I do have a fondness for Nightbreed um, I think in terms of di- direction this movie takes those and sort of moves with it in a very interesting way it is very macro there's a lot happening there's, he's got a bigger it, budget on this obviously and yeah. he's established himself at this point as a filmmaker so yeah yeah and I I was I was surprised I there are some cheesy effects but I think there are some really good effects in this movie as well that that surprised me because I was kind of anticipating a little hokey low budget uh, feature and that's that's not what we got I really enjoyed this one I I actually I I actually want to sit down and rewatch it again because I I just there's something about it that really just worked for me there's a scene and I know Rachel since you've just seen it that my brother and I quote to this very day Mac from the Halloween's podcast my brother and we we watched for the first time. I'm not kidding. Well over 25 years ago, and it's when Harry has kind of broken into this apartment, mm-hmm. and then Swan, who's this dead illusionist, his assistant is there at the apartment. He's basically saying, "Get out of here and stay away from the Fomka Jansen character and all this other stuff." Yeah. And Scott Bakula, his only response is he turns around and just goes, eh, "Lock up, will you?" And I always remember thinking, like, that was the biggest burn and dismissal of threat I had ever seen in a major motion picture. And like, to this day, when I, told, when I told Mac that you had chosen this, Rachel, right away he did the, yeah, lock up, will you? I mean, it's just, it, and we, I remember we both watched it and we both started cracking up at the same time. It had, like, that much of an, an impact on me. 
And so that's my special connection to, um, to Lore of Illusions. And again, The Last Illusion short story, uh, I would definitely say to check it out. Um, yeah, it's... It, I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff in here. Like, they go to the Magic Castle. Like, I'm a sucker for that. Like, they go to the Magic Castle. If you like Magic, this is the movie for you. And it, it feels way. very, like, noir-ish, which I do yeah. think, like, Clive Barker clearly has oh, the Harry character an affinity for. totally old night gumshoe detective from the 40s. Yes. 100%. So it yeah. feels very, like, a 90s noir with magic. Like, come on. Like, it's amazing. And it, it does feel to me... And I think this is just the period. Like, it feels kind of like a really long uh, X-Files episode. <laughs> like, you could easily see, the, like... The company could have been Harry D'Amour. You know? Yeah, it could have, like... It could have been Mulder and Scully. Actually, I think one of the characters... Maybe this is also it. Like, I'm just associating these actors. Like, there's an actor at the Magic Castle who's in an X-Files episode where there's, like, a bunch of, like, freaks or whatever. Oh, yeah, like great a, episode. A trailer park or something. And so he's oh, in v- this. Vincent he's, Schiavelli is in this. He plays, yeah, he plays a magician. Ghost. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but it also feels very, like, speaking of, like, Italian cinema, it feels like this could be, like, an Italian movie, just mm-hmm. kind of the absurdity of what's happening sometimes. It is absurd. My favorite moment, and it's it's a very small moment, but my favorite moment is when um, after he's Harry has seen a couple things, and it's like this is really kind of weird, and someone just basically offers him thirty thousand dollars to fuck off back to to New York. Yeah, and I went out was like, what is thirty thousand dollars now? And that'd be like being offered sixty thousand dollars on the spot. And I, if I were in that shoes, I'd been like. Give me the money. I'm out. Because yeah, this place good. is weird. Yeah, I don't yeah, really care Fam about the resolution. Yeah, but it's Famke Jansen. Like, I mean, this... It is, it's his Famke Like, Famke Jansen. Yeah. Like, she's stunning. And she's so funny in this because she's just very, like, dramatic a little bit. Like, I didn't marry him for the money. This was her you know? follow-up to Goldeneye. I remember this was, like, her next big thing after Goldeneye had come out. So, yeah, she was... Yeah. It's an attractive cast in Lore of Illusions. Yeah. It is. What's funny is that she and um, Kevin J. O'Connor, who plays Swan, will reunite in a few years to do uh, Deep Rising. Oh, yes. my God. That's right. With the late, great Treat Williams. Yeah. And, and Kevin J. Story. O'Connor is playing this, you know, very tortured, famous yes. magician. I wonder if Barker <laughs> run into like David Copperfield around this time and, and or uh, 10 years earlier and was like, you know, this guy needs to have a, uh, have a I love how here. they like show like his, they go to one of his shows and like all of these people are showing up in tuxedos and like long sparkly gowns. It's like, what is this? The opera? Like- well, these are the types of people, Rachel, that would say Jonathan Taylor Thomas. They wouldn't say JTT. I, all right. This is the upper yeah. class <laughs> that you're not quite there yet. In I 1995. guess I, yeah, I'm, I've already told on myself. Clearly, I'm Clearly, in the JTT class. Clearly, absolutely embarrassing. <laughs> Classless too. All right, now we do, we do have our final entry here, oh, and uh, we're going to time travel. We're going to go all the way into the future to the year I graduated high school. It either makes people out there think I'm old, or makes me think I'm old. Um, but Terry, to be fair, you, you graduate around this time too, and you and we're, we're feeling pretty. I graduated right in 1989. Right? I'm still running around. You know, what I mean, everything's fine. Exactly, Rachel. I think Home Improvement was toast in 99, so no more, as you refer to them, JTT posters on mm-hmm. the wall. What's going on in 1999? 1999. I'm like, yeah, I'm 14 or whatever. I am so punk rock at this time. Yeah, like, here we go. 
I now you talking like the real punk yeah. rock you're talking about. I got in the mother state uh, and I'm ready to kill no. people. <laughs> Sh- shut up, Justin. <laughs> Good album. Keep doing your own. Fun times. Yeah, I had just gone to go see Blink-182, yes. and I remember it vividly. I, like, went shopping at the mall to get a shirt, and I went to Pacific Sun, and I got a, sh- a rusty shirt, and it said, what are you on? And I thought that was so cool, and I went My and God. saw Blink-182. This is like Sid and Nancy all over again. You went to Pacific Sun? <laughs> I went to Pac Sun. <laughs> With my friend Megan, and I was obsessed with Green Day, and I thought Billy Joe Armstrong was the hottest thing in the world. So yeah, clearly, obviously, very extremely punk. Rock. Well, I saw Blink One Eight Two that same tour in a warehouse in Jacksonville. I feel pretty oh. cool. I get to say I saw them in the warehouse show. No big deal, you know. Terry, what about you? Are you are you freaking out about Y Two K? What's going on in nineteen ninety nine? You know, uh, I am graduating high school. Yeah. Um, I am in love with Devin Sawa and a bunch of like that sort of era of um, yep. like Dawson's Creek boys. Were, James Vanderbeek that time. Oh yeah, you know. Wait, Josh Hartnett. <laughs> Josh Hartnett. Yes. Was, yeah, he was. On, he was on the scene at this point. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what. 1989 was a good year for movies. There was a lot yeah. of really good movies that came out that year. The late uh, the 90s, especially. About, yeah. Probably isn't going to fit in that category, but um, <laughs> this didn't make your top ten for 1999. You know what? Maybe my top eleven. Oh, okay. <laughs> what? Okay, the movie. And this is what I love about this. Okay, this is what I love about this show is because there are some movies that I've heard of over the years, but just for one reason or the other, didn't check out. Just because mm-hmm. you know other stuff's going on, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch this movie. But when Terry said what movie he was going to do. I had legit never heard of the movie before, which made it even more exciting. And so I also, I found out, Rachel, off pod, we have all seen this movie now, but we do not know how any of us feel about it. And the movie is Lover's Lane, 1999. Terry, tell the people out there what it's about. What's going on with Lover's Lane? A little bit of a caveat. When when you has approached me and said to you that it's a movie you hadn't seen before, you can see behind me, I have a lot of movies, and there's a lot of movies to the right of me. And like a good horror collector, I collect movies I've never seen before, hmm. and I still haven't watched them. They're in my two-watch pile. And so I literally looked around my room and said, what movie am I going to watch for this? <laughs> And I Terry, that's why grabbed. I watched Lord of Illusion. I, this is great, I, told, though. I told Justin, I was like, yeah. it's been sitting on my coffee table, like in this pile. I gotta watch it. <laughs> I had I didn't watch this and I went, single white female has been on a variety of my watch list for 10 years, and I'm gonna finally do it for this podcast. Yeah. So anyway, continue. Sorry, Terry. So you get lovers lovers lane. You see yes. it. So Arrow released a beautiful cover. And it like immediately grabbed me because that's the one thing I do love about Arrow's releases. They will sucker me in with some off the wall slasher movie from the 80s or the 90s that I had never, ever heard of, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. has this glorious cover that I'm just like, ooh, I want to get this movie. And so I remember picking up this movie earlier this year and it's been sitting on my floor in my office in a pile (laughs) because I... I'm still trying to organize all my movies. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to grab this movie and this is the movie I'm going to watch. Not knowing what I was going to get myself into. But yes, this is a movie that's basically based around the urban legend of The Hook, where mm-hmm. there's a, a lover's lane and people die. And then it fast forwards 13 years later. The man that did the killing supposedly is in a mental institution and 
We follow the, the kids of the parents of the survivors in the small little town. And then he escapes the mental institution and the parents end up driving all the way around town without going to Lover's Lane, even though they should know <laughs> that the man who killed people in Lover's Lane and their horny kids are probably going to Lover's Lane. That never seems to cross their mind. And so they race around town while the kids go to Lover's Lane and end up running into murder, death and mayhem. And the um, basic, I think, plot. And this is kind of in like the uh, it's, it's basically like in that stream of films that we've talked about a million times on our pod, uh, the post scream of horror, you know, where we're really focusing on like this ensemble of, you know, 23 year olds playing 16 year olds, basically, mm-hmm. um, which is a time honored tradition as it continues to this very day. And but I was shocked about how I mean, I recognize some people in this movie that looks like it was made for like a hundred thousand dollars, if we're being honest, right? Yeah, it I was mean, a very low budget movie that made it that made money because of a deal with Blockbuster. It was not released in theaters. It was a, oh, a direct yes. to VHS film, but they had like some kind of agreement with Blockbuster and made their money back many fold, I believe, from that. You know what's funny? I was working at Blockbuster around this time in my summer job. No, 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 never mind. That was the next year. So I was going to say, I feel like I would have remembered like seeing these pouring in or something like that. Can I, yeah, this, can this I cast, tell you guys yeah, something? Yeah, can I, Please. I, it's funny. I interviewed once at Hollywood Video mm-hmm. in high school and I never got hired. And that like really like stuck with me. And I got to be honest, anytime I'm on a podcast or I get to write about movies. I'm like, fuck, fuck you, Hollywood video. You don't even know. <laughs> I thought what they you gave you a quiz missing. and you're and they're like, this hook villain appeared in 1999. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, no, no, not that one, not that hook, not that type of a hook. This movie has Sarah Lancaster, fresh off of Say by the Bell, a new class, the new class at this time, who went on to become the sister on NBC's Chuck for years. So I recognized her right off the bat. Uh, Anna Ferris. This is her debut film. It had to have been her debut, yeah. It looked like I was like watching it and I before I had looked anything up and I was like, oh my God, that girl sounds exactly like Anna Ferris. (laughs) And then I looked I was like, holy shit, wait, it is Anna Ferris. And she's like the sixth lead. I mean she's definitely not like we discovered somebody here, you're the lead. It's not Mm -hmm. it's not the case at all. No. All right, well let's I th- and then, by the way, I think the psychi- the psychologist in this movie, who, by the way, they indicate it's 1986 because he shows up at the crime scene in this like brown fedora and <laughs> trench coat. So it's like, oh, yeah, this is like 1986. <laughs> I think he was on WKRP in Cincinnati. Now, my, my he was. Internet's, it, it is him. I knew it. God, I knew it. OK, he looks the same age. He's, <laughs> this guy's looked 48 years old for about 30 years now. Uh, shout out to him. He I also- wish him the best. Was the voice of Bernard in Day of the Tentacle video game. Okay. See, I would not have known that part of it. So there you yeah. go. This is this was a question that Rachel got wrong in her Hollywood video interview, too. They're like, That's you don't know the tentacle game? Get it out of here. Get it off a lot. First Lover's Lane. All right. Well, okay. So what were your impressions after finally watching this movie, after having in your two watch pile this year? Terry, what did you think about Lover's Lane? Well, when it first started, I had to like go back and make sure that this was from 1999 because the <laughs> opening sequence feels like a long lost horror movie from the 80s. Like it, yes. it yeah, matches it that sort of direct to VHS 
Friday the 13th knockoff that was so popular in the late 80s. And that's what this opening reminded me of. It just it was lit really poorly. It had like really bad (laughs) acting. It just reminded me so much of that. And so I was like, oh, this is sort of like nostalgic in a a weird way. Yeah. And then we cut forward 13 years like, okay, that makes sense because that would have been in the in the 80s. But that style continues. And if you take away the lingo and the way the kids are dressed, it still feels like a direct to VHS knockoff from the 80s. It just it's it's and I guess it's probably because of how low budgeted it was. It feels very poorly lit. And I wonder if it was like a one take only kind of thing, because some of the the acting is a little circumspect. Sure. I just but there's something I don't know. There's something in here that I think is is interesting that I don't think was fleshed out enough. There is a, a kernel here that I found very intriguing with the the whole kind of incestual town and the way everyone seems to know and be related to everyone else. And the idea of, of what's happening here, I think is interesting. It just is not developed. Unfortunately, yeah, they don't, they don't take any time on it by the time. by the time the revelations start happening, there's only like, you know, a minute left of the movie. Yep. It's like you've you kind of squandered your opportunity to really investigate this. But it's like you said, I didn't know about the whole, look, we made a movie and for Blockbuster on X amount of money. You know, they're just trying to pump it out there and get it out there. But the lighting thing you said, Terry, made total sense because there's a, there a good six-minute section in the second half of this movie. I, look, I'm all, I, I don't like when movies are obviously lit, but I do like to see what's happening. And you really hmm. cannot – there's a scene in a car – Mm-hmm. Um, it's, kind of, yes. it's basically a sex scene or a supposed sex scene. Honestly, I couldn't fucking tell what was going on. Maybe they were having sex <laughs> the whole conversation, but it was, uh, the cheapness was, was coming through, but it wasn't like you said, Terry, it wasn't like that nostalgia for eighties cinema where at least we could usually see what was going on in those cars as opposed to this movie. But, uh, Rachel, what, what about you? What was your overall impression of, uh, John Stephen Ward's, we should give him mm-hmm. total credit, not JSW, John Stephen Ward's uh, Lover's Lane. What'd you think? I mean, this movie hit close to home in a lot of ways. And some of it made, because I was just like, wow, this feels very relatable to me. And then I found out, yeah, oh, wait, it was shot in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> oh. Like, I felt like I felt like the locations felt, I was like, these are real places. These are real houses. These it was are definitely real, an Exxon gas station that they like, went to. You know, they weren't yeah, trying to cover and like Some of these restaurants, it was like, this feels very like, what have we got? Okay, what, what does this feel? Like, it just felt very regional to me. And it was like, oh, that makes sense. It's it's in my neck of the woods, literally. And um, also the fashion in this, I felt like called out in some ways like Uh-oh. capris i was like oh god the capris the Sun, rachel the capris. this is Sun. these kids are going to see blank. The, like the twisty hair with the banana with like the butterfly clips like that was so 1990 like it was just so authentic in that way where it's like uh yeah pretty sure i wore the, like I could have been that girl at one point in my life. <laughs> like the girl so you plays felt Mandy. seen on the screen. I felt saying. seen. You felt represented. Representation if, if negatively, back. you felt represented. <laughs> but like that hairstyle and those capris and those glasses, like that was very authentic to me. Those kids felt real in some ways. <laughs> like they, I don't know. They in felt young, ways, I guess. I, you know, the Chloe character, the, the classic character, Chloe, of course. But it's like you know. I think, but I, what I liked about it is those more like insane moments, like that last ten minutes where mm. there's like this big twist and things kind of come together. I was like, 
this is what makes this film cool. Like this right here, they should have done more with because yeah. that to me made it a little bit more unique. Like the whole like first part of the film, I felt like it was just ripping off other films. And then like the last like end, butt end of the film, it's like, oh wait, no, this is this is this is good this is like the good stuff like they should have done more with this like i I found this intriguing when i watched it last night i found it was trying to do what scream did so successfully and that is whenever there's a reveal in scream they spend time some people get annoyed by this but i kind of like the whole whodunit of it all of scream and they spend time establishing who these people are why they're doing what they're doing and they kind of do it in this, but it's so rushed and accelerated by the it's end of so it, rushed. it's over. Yeah. And something else I really start appreciating more with the whole Kevin Williamson horror era era is that the directors of a lot of his movies knew how to shoot like a comedy scene because there are jokes that the characters are saying in this movie, but they don't land because they're, <laughs> they're just kind of like walking through a scene. Whereas you know Wes Craven would know. When the beat happens or, you know, anybody in that era, Robert Rodriguez would know when a beat's going to happen in the faculty. So it just shows that you have got to have a good director to cut good timing into these comic horror movies. And on top of that, did you know this? And this had to have been a joke. The cop car that's featured prominently in this movie. Did you know this what the number was? The car number was? No, I didn't. It was it was car 54. Oh. The Car 54, Where Are You, the old TV show that was remade yep. into a movie. Like, like that had to, was that like a, like so a screen type of a reference? Like, right? Yeah, that had to know. have been. Also, but they anyway, must have done some reshoots or something because something I could not get over was that poor mom wearing a wig. The wig. Well, well, yeah. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> the that, I thought the reveal was going to be like, I actually have a buzz or something like that. And I'm a killer. <laughs> yeah, no spoilers. But, but that was not what happened at the end of this movie. She's um, like in some scenes, it's like her, you know her actual hair, and then in others, it's this god awful wig. And uh, yeah, yeah, like you, Terry, you opened with the whole like these parents are driving around who were literally involved in the 1986 incident, which involved this killer who has broken loose, and they're just adamant about going everywhere in town, but everywhere the most obvious in place, town. right? Everywhere and in town. I- I and I love those two characters on like on a con- on a conceptual level because mm-hmm. her husband, his wife, mm-hmm. he's the sheriff, she's like the principal. Her husband, his wife were two people that were murdered in the original killing spree of Lovers Lane and so the the inferences that they were having an affair and they spend a little bit of time with that kind of stuff. And I thought the sort of like small town atmosphere because I have lived in a small mm-hmm. town where everyone seems to either be related to each other yeah. or know each other or are sleeping around with each other like that I think it nails that very well. But I wanted to kind of uh touch on something that you said uh because you talked about how they don't seem to know how to 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 hit beats, yeah. and most of the conversation in here, the dialogue, felt like there's a joke in Thirty Rock where in the background people are saying rhubarb, rhubarb, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, which is <laughs> the audience murmur, and it, it's it's something that that uh, people in the in theater will typically do to mimic the kind of background dialogue. It's, it's that's apples happening. and oranges, so, apples and oranges, apples and oranges, apples and oranges, apples yeah. and oranges, rhubarb, rhubarb, peas and carrots. It makes it look as if you're having a conversation. Yeah, and. Uh, I feel like the conversation in here is should have been background conversation. There's this scene early <laughs> on where we finally meet all the characters and we sort of see like they're outside it, at the school and there's yeah. this 
little exchange that goes on for a little too long about you got you're gonna pay me money for it and one kid is like he's like mimicking i can't i can't i don't have money and i'm like is this gonna be a plot point and it never comes up again but i'm just like there's a lot of dialogue in this early part that just feels like we don't know what we're gonna do we're just gonna have kids act like kids and and do weird things which is a shame because as you say when we get to the end reveal i'm like this is the stuff that i really wanted to see more of Mm -hmm. and i feel like most of the runtime is wasted on background conversation there's like an awkward conversation between the cops at the restaurant and that one guy's like checking out the daughter who's like all up on this new oh, dude. Oh god. And that, I, that wish was... I was her daddy. Yeah. So I, could I wish I her? was her. And then the other cops like what? But then I'd have to arrest you for being a pervert. Oh, and by the way, and the other cop he's talking to is that girl's uncle. Yeah. yeah. Like, and they're just like it's like a look. the most this movie... awkward, disgusting conversation, which is, you know. I guess is loosely tied into some other things, but like they're just laughing at each other. <laughs> the movie, to be kind, it's so weird has issues, and the the, the sheriff, um, you know, not not the greatest of actors. There's some dialogue oh. uh, delivered there that's uh, it's 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 a tough beat, not only for us the viewer, but obviously his job as as police officer in that film. But I was thrilled. To, uh, thank you for confirming that that was indeed the psychologist was indeed. The nerdy guy in WKRP in Cincinnati. I can I can sleep well tonight. There you go. All right. Well, this has been another spirited episode of Now Showing. I think we learned a lot about ourselves. And thanks to you, the listener, for joining us for this episode. Um, Rachel, is there anything that you want to plug over on uh, Losers Club or anywhere else? Anything else you're writing for right now or potting for right now? Oh, man. Pod-wise, I would say if you're a boys fan, we talked about Anthony Starr mm-hmm. this episode. My friend Jen Adams and I have a podcast called The Girls on the Boys, where we've been going through the Amazon Prime series, The Boys, and just talking about how amazing it is, because it is amazing. And so, so, yeah, uh, we should have a new episode coming out a little bit, yeah, by the time this episode comes out. So you can find that on the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad feed with a lot of other amazing shows, including some that Terry's on. Good transition. I was going to do it, but go (laughs) ahead. Yeah, so Terry's on that, so he can tell you more about that. Yeah, Terry, go ahead. Yeah, so um, you can find you can listen to my the podcast I co-host with Mary Beth McAndrews, the editor in chief of Dread Central, uh, where we talk to people about uh, the movies that that scared you growing up, and we also do like a little cuts. Once she is back, once we're back from hiatus, we'll be doing more little cuts as well. Um, and that's Scarred for Life. And then I'm also on the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad with a. Uh, Joe Lipset of the Horror Queers, and we are going through, it's called Sexy and Surreal right now, and we're going through the filmographies of David Cronenberg and David Lynch, because I have, am woefully, uh, have not seen many of their films. In fact, I've probably only seen one or two of each of them, so we're going from the very beginning. And so the first season of that is out as of now, where we go up to scanners for Cronenberg. And I believe, was it Blue Velvet? I cannot remember for lunch. And we're going to take a little bit of a break and then continue on with their filmography. Uh, It's really interesting for me as someone that has unfortunately never really watched their work. Uh, So that is also on the Anatomy of a Scream podcast, Pod Squad. So I really recommend checking that out, too. I think it's good. I think it's I, like I always say this thing when I know people who haven't seen certain things. Like I wish I could go back in time because it's never as good as the first time. Um, well, sometimes yeah. you know movies get better upon rewatch, but sometimes that that first time you see like I don't know Blue Velvet for instance, it's not going to be the same as when you yes. see it the thirtieth time. 
Yeah. No, and it's it's really fun to kind of see their careers grow and kind of go with them chronologic chronologically to see sort of how their careers have changed and progressed through time. So I'm I'm having a lot of fun d- deep diving into the Davids. Yeah, hearing you guys talk about Dune was Dune. <laughs> fascinating, fascinating film. There's a lot to unpack with uh, David Lynch's Dune. The one David Lynch film I had actually seen. Wow. I had not seen any other of his films but Dune. You're probably like, I'm good. <laughs> Um, no shots, no shots. I look, David Lynch, top 10 all time. He's made some great movies, but Dune is not, uh, like Lover's Lane isn't in Terry's top 10 for 1999. I'll just say Dune was not in my top 10 for 1980. Top 11 though, Yeah. Top 100%. Just missed a cut. Um, so for Halloweenies this month, so I guess we listen, this will be the end of July. So for August, we've planned it out. We're going to be doing another big deep dive on Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is celebrating, I think it's 35th anniversary there's a video game coming out later this year, I believe, too. So that's a fun one. We're going to be doing a commentary uh, on Toby Hooper's The Fun House, which will be fun. a lot of fun. Yeah. 1981. I've, I've seen that movie a thousand times somehow over the last 10 years. I've seen it. Fun time. Fun time. Better than Dune. That's my... You put that on the poster. <laughs> and, of course, we'll be returning to the world of Chucky for Don Mancini's Curse of Chucky later in August. So um, I'm really looking forward to that one. Terry, thanks so much for joining us again. Hopefully it'll be sooner than three years and uh, no more, no more years. pandemics. Uh, <laughs> the next time we, we talk, we talk to you. Fingers Seriously. crossed. Thanks again, buddy. And Rachel, of course, great times. And I'm, I'm sure I'll be recording something with you in the next uh, five days or so at this point <laughs> yeah. between this and the losers club podcast. Um, there's so much going on. Oh, I should also mention losers club podcast. Uh, check it out because big episodes on Under the Dome will be completed um, sometime in August as well. Of a lot of episodes about not just the book, but oh yes, there will be coverage on the short. Actually, the, the CBS show that lasted a couple seasons, which I was stunned and disappointed to learn. Yes, very surprising. But again, we wish everybody there the very best. But for now, I'm afraid the curtain is drawn to a close. The lights on the marquee have shut off and. Folks, if there's one thing out there that you can do for me, it's uh, lock up, will you? This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.